0: <laughs> from is predictable. They've seen it happen.
1: and one story that always kind of captures my imagination in in the, morning. I'm the streets yeah. lost culture <laughs> and you're listening to kerning cultures hey guys it's hiba and this is kerning cultures stories from the middle east and north africa and the spaces in between Today's episode comes from contributor Ahmed Tawaj, and we'll be doing things a little differently today. Ahmed will be looking at an often overlooked issue in the Arab world, racism towards Black Arabs. Through a series of short stories, Ahmed explores the racism in his own community, taking us from his roots in Iraq through to modern-day slurs still commonly used in many Arab communities around the world today. Here's Ahmed.
2: In today's episode, I decided to undertake some sort of self-reflection and research a topic many of us assume Arabs are not culpable of. But, unfortunately, we are. It's a topic that has come to the forefront given the Black Lives Matter movement and its global impact on addressing racism. It's been an issue in the background for decades. on May 25th, 2020,
0: George Floyd, who was
2: not armed, died on Monday. George Floyd's murder once again brought the issue of race and racism to the forefront of our discussions.
1: As outrage spreads over the killing of George Floyd in the US, protesters have taken to the streets around the world. There have been violent scenes
0: across the United States in response to the death
2: As Arabs, we often see this as being white America's problem. But this is not just a Western issue, but affects communities worldwide.
3: Rarely have protests over deaths in custody drawn so many Australians. Thousands of
1: people have gathered in Berlin city centre. Test one,
2: two, three, one, two, three. This is Ahmed Monika, a black Iraqi actor and musician now living in Canada. In 2012, he became the first black television presenter in Iraq.
0: I studied theatre for nine years. I became an actor, well, known actor in Baghdad back back in the days. <laughs>
2: who comes from a family who found their roots in Iraq dating as far back as the 700s.
0: When I say that to here, to tell that to people here in Canada, they laugh. Look, like, oh my God, man, a century. Our country is 150 years old. <laughs> it's like my grandpa's house. It's older than the history of Canada. Canada, Yeah. <laughs> There is a lot of history, but my family, they were the first family that moved to downtown Basra as a black family, carrying their heritage, carrying their traditions.
2: Ahmed's family eventually moved to Baghdad, where he grew up. It was there that he even as a child quickly discovered that people's attitude towards him and other black Arabs was different. People would make fun of him and his siblings in school. They'd call him names he hadn't heard I remember, before. I
0: think I remember the first day in the school, I come back to my mom. I was like, why God create us black? Why we are different? Why we are not normal? Why we are not like this? But they hear the thing. And my mom, she just like absorbing it. She's like, look at yourself. Look at your the mirror. He's so beautiful. Come, let's take a shower. She took me a shower. She gave me some money. It's like, go walk with open chest. And if you op- open your ear, you will listen to these people say, look son of Salah is so beautiful. Look at him. He's so clean. He's so nice. He's so, so, so so all this voice of my mother in my head that is just filling us with love and compassion and you unique because you have this kind of you know this specific thing that you have as a skin color or anything else but your soul is so beautiful and that is really carry us.
4: It's very difficult because when People can't consider you as a human. It's very difficult because you yourself sometimes ask yourself, am I human or animal or what?
2: This is Marwa Jabbar. She's an activist and reporter from Basra. This term, to be black Arab, I'd never considered it before. Even ticking census boxes in America, Arab is often under the category of white slash Caucasian. And what's it like growing up? As a black Arab in Iraq?
4: Oh, black Arab. You see, <laughs> I think uh, few people use that, that word, black Arab, uh, because so many people here in Iraq can't consider us as Arab. And I'm laughing when I hear that Arab black. Till so now, so many people, not all, but most of them, can't consider us as Arab. Till so now, most of them think that we are people come from strange earth strange country till now so many people look at us like ambiguous think not ambiguous persons no ambiguous think think not a human not persons not people for me, yes, I'm black Arab because I was born here on this earth. And my parents were Arab. My relatives are Arab people. We speak Arabic languages. We speak Arab language and accents, different Arab accents. And we can understand Arab language perfect. Of course, we love our land. We love our society. This is my land, my mother city, my mother country. Whether they love that or not, accept that or not, but that's the truth.
2: To unpack these terms, I spoke with Dr. Maytha El Hassan in California. Do you want to introduce yourself quickly? Say your name and like let's just say hi, I'm Maytha, this is what I do.
3: Oh my god, this is what I do is like a 20-minute answer. Um... Maitha does a bunch of stuff, ranging
2: from broadcast journalism and poetry... I'm a
3: journalist, do mostly broadcast journalism. ...to
2: being a writer for the TV series Rami, as well as an academic.
3: I have a PhD, I'm a professor.
2: Maitha explored the terms black and Arab further.
3: When we speak of who an Arab is, most of the time it is the most prominent vision of what an Arab is, which is a non-black Arab. It's also a term that has so many historical iterations. And I think part of how we manifest racism in our community, I mean, especially non-Black Arabs, is that we don't understand the history of how this term came to be. We don't understand the history of how it also operated as a way to distance ourselves from Blackness.
2: It's interesting to think how commonplace expressions like Black American and Black British are especially when helping us understand structural and institutional racism in today's society. But when it comes to Arabs, why is such language often avoided and why do we presume Arabs to be white?
3: For most of the history of the term of Arab, you see it not as an ethnic market, but a linguistic marker. So anybody that spoke Arabic would be called Arab, but part of our legacy is a colonial one. So part of colonialism is... The rise of identitarianism, that you can be only one thing and that it defines you totally.
2: Unfortunately, within the Arab world, this identarianism is often as superficial as being the colour of your skin, where just being black subjects you to frequent racial slurs.
4: The main word here in our society, in Iraq, the word abed. It means slave, the same meaning of slave, Abid.
2: Yes, a- as in the word which quite literally translates to mean slave. And yet many Arabs, be they living abroad or in the MENA region, continue to abhorrently refer to those from the black community with this A word. And even the chocolate is racism. Look at this uh, chocolate thing, it's called al Abed. Ahmed here is referring to the Middle Eastern treat that is the chocolate covered marshmallow shaped like a dome and disgustingly called head of the slave. It was a pretty popular dessert in the 80s and 90s. You'd find it everywhere, in any grocery store. Recently, the company had to rebrand and the chocolate is now called Tarbush instead. Have you? Has it been used against you?
4: Oh, a lot. So many times. Especially when I was a student at early age, at 10, 11, 12. Till now, sometimes till now. When I go to some um, some area in Basra, people uh, don't ask myself. Just say Abid. Don't ask, what's your name, for example. When I was a teenager, I got angry. And I was to do something violent, just to talk loudly, just sometimes to to beat the students, to do something bad. But now, (laughs) at that age, of course, now I just talk and say, I'm not avid. I'm a person. I'm a human. My name is Marwa.
2: We'll be back after the break. I myself am of Iraqi background and have witnessed firsthand how racist Arab society can be. To this day, some Arabs, including those living in English-speaking countries, have migrated the racial slur with them and continue to refer to members of the black community as this A-word,
0: yeah, I remember this day, one day, this guy just saying it and running. So I run behind him, was like crazy. Just I wanna, I wanna punish him. Just I wanna like, wanna stop him. And he was laughing, he was like making fun. He didn't mean to, like it. He didn't mean to hurt me like that. So I was hurt.
2: I distinctly remember the first time I came across the colloquial meaning of the word. I was a teenager at the time, it was the summer of 2006 and there I was, glued to one of those bulky flat screen televisions, passionately watching England play Trinidad and Tobago in the FIFA World Cup. It was the end of the school year and I was enjoying the game in the comfort of my home with my younger brother. And I remember that match for a couple of reasons. Firstly, Steven Gerrard, a footballing idol of mine, scored a screamer in the final minutes. And secondly, my late grandmother, who grew up under British-ruled Iraq and was on a visit from Baghdad at the time, asked me which team was England. Excited my grand had finally taken an interest in the sport, I replied, the team playing in white. And let's not forget, this is a team full of black English players, from Rio Ferdinand and Sol Campbell to Ashley Cole and David James. My grandmother ever so casually replied, I didn't know England had so many abids. I paused for a second. It took me a moment to register what had just been said. I didn't know what to say. I was rendered speechless. The root of the A word as a racial slur, and you can probably guess from where it's derived, is because for centuries before the transatlantic slave trade, Arabs partook in enslaving Africans. So you find that black Arabs have been part of the region for centuries, going as far back as pre-Islamic Arabia. They now make up a significant minority in many countries, from North Africa to the Gulf. Even Sudan, a majority black Arab country, has been labelled by the colour of its people's skin. The name Sudan comes from bilad as or the land of the blacks. What's worrying is that these racial prejudices have somehow managed to persist in Arab culture, even after migrating out of the Middle East. I have now heard the A-word used from Baghdad all the way to California. The N-word has been pushed out of most English dialogue, Yet within Arab circles, the A-word is still far behind. To counter this, Maith has been working on a campaign called Drop the A-Word,
3: addressing the issue. Well, we all know words that are better left unsaid. Seven Action News reporter Andy Choi shows us in the Arab community,
1: there's a movement to strike one word.
3: And we started in response to seeing online that Arabs were using a term to talk about black people.
4: Arabic people around me say... Uh, the A-word,
3: the A-word. When people come from a Muslim background and use this term like Abdullah, um, abdul Fatah, the idea of slave of is servant of God. But Arabs would use that to talk about Black people not as servants of Allah, but to describe them as slaves.
4: I can't say it. It's like a very bad word. I don't like to say it or nobody in my house.
3: And so the fact that that traveled over to the U.S. in English-speaking Arab accounts was so wild to us. So there was an imam in Detroit metro area. My dear
2: brothers and sisters.
3: Who started to call them out.
2: Unfortunately, in some societies and communities, even in Dearborn community, when we talk, some of us, when we talk about the African-American people, we call them Abi. That's not right, my dear brothers and sisters.
3: And so we witnessed this as a collective, and then we decided to do educational campaigns with hashtags. So one of the hashtags was drop the A word, and people explained why it was important to do so. We should
4: not feel superior over any person. Black and white, they are all created by Allah
2: subhanahu wa ta'ala. We are all Allah's creation, and nobody. As part of her PhD thesis, Maitha wrote about the history of Arab-owned corner stores or liquor stores in Oakland, California. She found that these stores created a negative perception of Arabs and Muslims by the black community. Back in the 1950s and 60s, however, They're,
0: they're passing the basket through the crowd.
2: This divide between Muslims or Arab groups in the black the community the the was never so evident.
0: And I don't. I think everybody standing here should put one dollar in that basket. Don't you think you should? Sure. These are freedom dollars, brother.
3: The Nation of Islam and other black Muslim groups were known as people who cleaned up the community. We put up businesses. The Honorable Elijah Muhammad has set up more businesses than any black man in America. And they came in, they got people off of drugs, they got people jobs. Because businesses make jobs for you, and churches don't make jobs
0: for anybody but preachers.
2: Malcolm X used to frequently advocate for black Americans to stop their addiction to drug and alcohol. Here's a clip from Spike Lee's biopic of Malcolm.
0: They send drugs
4: in Harlem down here to pacify us. They send alcohol down here to pacify us. Why, you can't even get drugs in Harlem without the white man's permission. Every time you break the seal on that liquor bottle, that's a government seal you're breaking. Oh,
0: I say it, I see it again.
2: Over time, this trust between the Muslim and black community began to break down as Arabs and Muslim immigrants began to profiteer from vulnerable black neighborhoods. What they started doing was opening various liquor stores throughout their communities.
3: And then when you had Arab Muslims coming in with liquor stores, with hard liquor, with single cigarettes, with lottery tickets, with all this sort of stuff, then there was a shifting image around the Muslim in their neighborhood. Now it's this brown foreign other who's selling them things that don't contribute to the betterment of their community.
2: And so in predominantly Black neighborhoods, like the one Maitha wrote her thesis about in Oakland, California, Arabs started to become associated with these corner stores, which began causing a divide between the communities.
3: And it became such a problem, there was growing tension between the Black community, which included Muslims and non-Muslims, and also the predominantly Arab Muslim community because of these liquor stores. And so I've been, as I said, screaming at the top of my lungs around it because it's been one of the biggest obstacles to solidarity.
2: Now, fast forward to 2020, and here we have Arabs who have bought into this structure of profiteering off the Black American community for their own financial gains, as well as contributing to gentrification.
3: Absolutely. And that's, that's the hard part. And that's what I mean about this Arab merchant class that creates wealth through literally extractive capitalist politics around either Black labor or Black wealth. But then here we come now to 2020 May 25th and the store owner of the store that called the cops over an alleged $20 counterfeit bill is an Arab Muslim guy
2: and so that's how it all links back Arabs racism George Floyd
4: well, the owner of the South Minneapolis
3: convenience store, where police first made contact with George Floyd, is speaking out. Uh, Mahmoud Abamayali says that he is with the community and wanting justice for the Floyd family. The family-owned business
4: has come under fire after a phone call to police about the passing of a counterfeit $20
2: bill.
1: Of
3: a counterfeit $20 bill that Floyd used to buy a pack of cigarettes. The guy who did own Cup Foods, which is the store that called the cops, was known as being heavily involved in the community for 30 years and even employed people from the community, which was rare. So how
1: long has your family been in
4: this community here? We started in 1989. I was five years old. It's been my first ever and only job.
2: That's Mahmoud Abu Mayala, the store owner of Cup Foods. He declined an interview for the story because he felt he had received too much negative press since George Floyd's death. He wasn't present at the time when the police were called over the counterfeit bill, but has since explained how important his relationship with the community has been for him.
4: When we first opened up, the community welcomed us. Um, We've always enjoyed being here. We've always known people and they've always had our back. They've always respected us and we respected them. And we know people that are now grandparents that when they began coming to our establishment, they were just kids or teenagers.
3: But he didn't think about creating a cultural contract that didn't involve the states when there were issues that arised.
0: The staff that called the police followed protocol. When he identified the bill was fake, the patron was out of the establishment. Most of the time when patrons give us a counterfeit bill, they don't even know it's fake. So when the police are called, there's no crime being committed. They just want to know where they got it from. And that's usually what takes place.
2: There's an important distinction to be made here. Mahmoud's intention has never been to report the individuals for using a counterfeit bill. In fact, for every 10,000 genuine bills in existence, a counterfeit bill exists too. Most people don't even know they're carrying one. The intention was only to alert the authorities that a counterfeit bill is even in circulation. We want
4: to extend our our condolences to the George Floyd family. And we want to express our feelings about what, what
0: transpired...
2: How we engage with structural racism defines our solidarity with the community. Just because a law exists does not necessarily mean it's just. The death of black Americans at the hands of the police force has seen demands for social justice echo around the world.
4: The Black Lives Matter movement has embraced the Palestinian cause.
3: So there's a fundamental relationship between uh, black people in the U.S. and the Palestinian struggle uh, and that's connected through legacies of imperialism and colonialism by
4: the United States.
2: Even in Syria and Palestine, we've seen messages of solidarity with Black Lives Matter as George Floyd's chilling last words, I can't breathe, are spray-painted across rubble buildings in Idlib.
0: Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. What's up, y'all? I'm in
2: Idlib, Syria. Now, I want you to look at this that was painted just today. There's a picture of George Floyd right here.
0: Look down here at the
2: police. Arabs often choose to refer to themselves as also being people of colour, almost equating their struggle to that of the black community and hijacking the black cause. To the extent that whenever something happens against the black community, many Arabs deflect back to say, but this happens in Palestine or Iraq or Syria.
3: In the world of solidarity, we call that derailment. And what about ism? Instead of looking at the thing that is happening in the moment and trying to fully understand it, what we do is try to create, we try to create analogies of understanding versus seeing the thing for what it is, the murder of George Floyd as being a very clear example of a long history, a track record of law enforcement targeting specifically Black Americans and part of a system of enforcement that is related to the prison industrial complex that is related to so many different engines and apparatuses of the state that is interested in either extinguishing, ethnically cleansing or radically repressing Black folks and especially Black resistance. Now, Black American community has historically risked a lot, sacrificed a lot to show solidarity with Palestinians. But at the same time, we need... Palestinians to say, okay, even though we are refugees, working class folks coming to the U.S., we shouldn't be buying out liquor stores in working class Black neighborhoods that add to blight. We shouldn't be in this professional station that exploits and extracts from the Black community and puts up a plexiglass ball because we don't want to connect with them.
2: So how can we escape this?
3: I'm part of a collective called Arabs for Black Lives. And in our calls to action, we directed people to donating to Black-led organizations and also anti-racism organizations. We're going to be collaborating with other organizers who've already started working on developing scripts for people to talk to Arab store owners around anti-racism education, but also a whole curriculum around how to do that work. And much of that work is offline.
2: Despite all these divisions, it's inspiring to see how Ahmed Monica has been able to remain a beacon of positivity to those around him. He was telling me about a time he addressed white guilt when he was sat with actors and directors for a theatre production in the US.
0: Long story short, like I was sitting one day in Minneapolis and people like... You were like, you know, feel sorry, because I'm Iraqi black too much, you know. <laughs> it's like sorry. It's like why are you are sorry. It's like you know sorry. No, don't be sorry. Behave good. If you feel guilty, behave good. Be responsible. Don't be sorry. It's like even to the Iraqis people, don't be sorry. Behave good. Past is analyzing, future is vision. The most important moment is the present. So all we could adjust, all we could be good.
2: What was extremely distressing when producing this podcast was not only finding out how racist slurs managed to migrate with Arabs to English speaking countries, but the choices made to continually contribute to structural racism. Yes it really was an Arab who called the police over George Floyd's alleged counterfeit bill. Yes, it was Arabs who stood outside their stores with assault rifles to supposedly protect their belongings from Black Lives Matter protesters. Solidarity does not include token symbolism by posting a black square on your Instagram and hashtagging Blackout Tuesday. Solidarity is the organizing, actioning, and unlearning of racist ideas we may have developed. It is important for us to learn how we may have contributed to structural racism. And more importantly, how we can escape that. And to see us out from today's episode is our guest.
0: Thank you again for listening to our music, for watching us. I hope you liked it. And let's go to Sidi Mansour with some Sufi afro trance for you.
1: This episode was produced by Ahmed Touaj with editorial support from Dana Balut, Nadine Shaker, Zayna Douidar, and Alex Atak. Fact-checking by Shrada Joshi, sound design by Alex Atak, and mixing by Mohamed Khayzat. Music in this episode was by Ahmed Monica and Blue Dot Sessions. Special thanks to Noon Saleh and Sorel Hassan for being awesome as always and our marketing director is Bella Ibrahim. Kerning Cultures is a Kerning Cultures Network production, which means that in addition to this podcast, we have seven other shows in Arabic and in English that we think you'll love because they're all great. Everything from love stories to thriller fiction adventures, just Google Kerning Cultures Network and you'll see the full list. Thank you for listening as always, and we'll be back with a new episode in one week. Take care.
0: واشحن بالله معشك تسوى تحكي حبيب وعليك صغير وانتك يا سيدي وانتك واسمع بي واسمع بقلبي والنار بقلبي تحرك واريب الله الله يا بابا واسمع